The following audio is from Solid Rock Community Church. More information about Solid Rock Community Church is available at www.solidrockcommunitychurch.com. Well, if you uh, have been with us the last couple of weeks, then uh, you know that we have paused in our study as, uh, through the Gospel of Mark, which we're going to come back to in a couple of weeks. We're going to pick it back up again. But we've paused and we've been asking a question for the last couple of weeks, and the question is simply this. Why did Jesus, who is God in a human body, why did Jesus come as one of us and live as one of us among us? Why did he do that? And remember last week we said that one of the reasons that Jesus came was to show us what God is like because there are some things that are true about God that you would never know about God unless you paused and looked at Jesus. In other words, if you wanted to see what God is like, Jesus would say, well, hey, watch me, okay? If you want to know what God would say, then listen to me. If you want to know how God would respond to a particular person or problem or, or circumstances, you want to know how God would respond, then just watch how I respond. And then at the end of the message last week, I challenged all of you to begin reading the Gospel of Mark with this question in mind. What do I learn about the Father from the Son, because Jesus again came to explain what God was like. That if that then if you if you read the Gospel of Mark, because he came to explain what God is like, as I read the stories of Jesus, then there should be some clues in the story or, or the narrative of Jesus about what God is like. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you've started that, uh, doing that. But if you did not start last week. I want to give you one more opportunity because today, I, I, what I want to do, and this, this is so important, I believe, I'm going to go to a passage of Scripture about Jesus, and I want to take the time to show you how you do this, how you discover things about God from the Son. I think this is such a big deal uh, that for the rest of your life, Here's what I would hope. For the rest of your life, whenever you read the gospel, and again, I've asked you to read the gospel of Mark, but it could be all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But for the rest of your life, as you're learning about what Jesus said and as you watch to see what Jesus does, I hope at the same time you'll be looking for clues about God because, again, Jesus came to explain what God is like. Because here's, here's the deal. You will never get closer to understanding God than Jesus. So if you're moving away from Jesus, then you're moving away from understanding God. And if you stop short of Jesus, and a lot of people stop short of Jesus, you're, you're stopping short of discovering uh, what God is like. And so today, I want to show you how. How to do this. So I'm going to read a particular passage of Scripture to you this morning. I'm going to point out three things that we learn about God from Jesus. Uh, there's probably a whole bunch more than that, probably a whole bunch. In fact, as we're going through the story, you might be going, well, hey, you missed this one. Hey, you missed that one. You're right. I, I, I probably did. But I just didn't want to move past this after last week. I just didn't want to move past this without emphasizing how extremely, extremely important this is. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 9, we're going to begin at verse 1. And, and if you don't have a Bible, we'll put them on the, the screen up here for you. As he went along, and this is Jesus and his disciples, as he went along, he saw a man blind 
from birth. So here's this young man, blind from birth, and his disciples ask him, they say, Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or was his par- or his parents that he was born blind? So the assumption was, and I think it's some really bad theology, but the assumption was that since this young man was born blind, then somebody must have done something wrong because they believe that bad things were always the result of sin. And I would imagine that you've had a similar question like that in your life as well. Sometimes people will come up to me and they'll ask me, they'll say, hey Dave, is the reason this is happening to me, is the reason this is going on in my life right now, is it because I did something bad? You ever wondered about that? I mean, do you ever wonder if suffering is your fault? I mean, maybe not directly related to something that you did, but maybe something that's happening bad in your life as an adult, and you're thinking back maybe to your childhood or maybe your teenage years or maybe your college years, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, God is now punishing me now for for something that took place in an earlier season or a previous season of my life. And the assumption oftentimes is that if bad things are happening, then it's got to be my fault. I must have done something wrong. And then we go on this witch hunt and we start confessing all kinds of stuff and searching and thinking, okay, if I can somehow correct this, if I can somehow fix this, then God will fix this over here. Then God will take care of this over there. And see, this was their assumption because they're thinking, okay, whenever bad things happen, it's because people have brought it on themselves. And maybe not even his fault, but maybe it was the fault of his parents. So somebody, so they look to to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, who sinned? I mean, obviously a child that's born blind, somebody had to have sinned because blindness is always the result of sin. I mean, everybody knows that, Jesus. Come on, so tell us, did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus said, neither Guys, you need to understand, it's nobody's fault. This is not the result of sin. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. And then Jesus introduces to his, to his audience and he introduces to us this big idea about God, this big idea about the Father. And look what he says in the rest of this verse, verse 3. But this happens so that, in other words, pain, and this is what Jesus is about to teach us, that pain actually has a purpose, that the reason this young man was born blind was so that, so that, in other words, God is up to something, that pain and suffering is not always the result of sin, and some of you need to hear that this morning. In fact, oftentimes it's not the result of anyone's direct sin. And Jesus says, look, let me give you a new category. Pain has a purpose. So that, he writes, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That this young boy is suffering the way he's suffering because God wants to do something. Now see, this is a brand new category for them. This is a brand new uh, theological concept for them. That God would not simply be punishing with pain. That God actually has purpose in pain, that God wasn't dissing somebody through their pain, but God actually wanted to glorify himself through somebody's pain. So the first lesson we learn about the father from the son in this story is this, that sometimes God chooses to display his power through our pain. 
They had no concept of this. Their theology didn't teach them this. Their staring out at nature didn't teach them this. Uh, their meditating didn't teach them this. This was brand new, that there was purpose in pain, and that oftentimes God wants to leverage our pain for a divine purpose. Now, in my life as a pastor, uh, this is something that you know I bump into all the time. Uh, people don't call the church to tell me and go, hey, I just wanted to call you up, pastor, just to tell you that everything's fine. Hey, I just want to let you know everything's going great in my life. Hey, I just want you to know me and my wife are getting along. We're not arguing. Things are going great. People don't call me and do that. That's usually not what happens. We're more like a, a hospital, if you will. We're more like that. When people call, it's generally an emergency. So I'm on the front row in many, many cases and oftentimes simultaneously of people with all kinds of, you know, agonizing things that, that are going on in their lives, things that we would not sign up for, things that we would not wish on anybody. But I'm also on the front row of watching people allow God to leverage their pain for his glory. Now, in my lifetime, over the last 30, 35 plus years in ministry, I've heard a lot of pastors preach some incredibly great sermons and, you know, some incredible insight. But I'm telling you, none of those sermons move me the way that I see when a person who's trusting through God moves me. When I watch them navigate that. And I bet the same is true for many of you here today, that there are people whose stories make our faith so big because their faith is so big, because they're trusting, for God, trusting God and they're looking you know, you know, for God and looking for purpose in their pain. Uh, again, I was just thinking this past week, uh, a few years ago, as many of you know, uh, I was thinking about Kathy when she was diagnosed with cancer about four years ago and just all of the things that were surrounding that. And some of the other ladies also, uh, obviously, as, as well, here in our church have had cancer as well. Um, and you know that if you uh, know anyone who's been through that, and we've just had in the last few months someone else just recently uh, get diagnosed as well with cancer. But you know that when it, when it comes to cancer and it comes to radiation and it comes to chemotherapy and it comes to going through treatment, it's, it's, it's almost a full-time job. And I'm just telling, to, to, telling you that to watch Kathy as she went through that and to watch some of the ladies and now as I'm watching someone else walk through this as well, I'm telling you just watching them and watching Kathy, it's like, wow, look at the glory of God in their life. And I'm just telling you, when you watch people with a faith trust God through pain, doesn't it do something for your faith? Come on. Doesn't it do something for your faith? Absolutely. And you know what you think? You think what I think. You think, you know what? I don't need that kind of grace right now. I mean, I don't need that in my life right now. But I'm just glad to know that it exists so that when my time comes, I can tap into it. Okay? And so Jesus introduces this idea, and these guys had no clue that there can actually be purpose in pain, that oftentimes God actually wants to display his power in our pain. So we've just learned something really big about God, haven't we? From the life of Jesus, we've learned something about God from Jesus. But we're just getting started. You ready? Shall we go on? 
Should we go on? The story picks up a lot of momentum, and I think it just, this story, if you've ever read this story, I think it just becomes ridiculous, okay? Verse 6, so after saying this, he, Jesus, spit on the ground, and he made some mud with saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Now, you got to picture this, okay? So don't get all theological and Bible and spiritual on us, okay? So here's a dirty, kind of a younger man begging and this conversation happens over, you know, off onto the side. And the next thing he knows, it's like, it's like mud in his eyes. And he's like, what? I don't, he doesn't even know who did this. Okay. He doesn't even know what happened. Okay. And all of a sudden he hears this voice say to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the guy's thinking, well, I guess I got to go wash somewhere. So who is this? He's like, you know, who is this? So the man went and washed, and suddenly he can see. And I wish we had time to really stretch this out to allow the drama and the emotion and the tension of this story to really build. But here's a person, here's a young man who's never seen anything in his life, and here's this you know, stranger who you know, puts mud on his eyes, he finds his way to the pool of Siloam. Probably somebody took him there, uh, you know, led him there. And now he can see. And then he makes his way back home. And here's what John writes. And his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging said, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? I mean, isn't this the same guy? Some claimed that he was. And then others said, No, no, I don't think it's him. It just kind of looks like him. It's not really him. But then he himself says it. Hey, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. And so there's an argument that sort of breaks out between everybody, this tension. And he's like, guys, wait, wait, wait. It's really me. I am the man. So they ask him, okay, well, how then were your eyes open? They ask. How did this happen? And he replied, the man they called Jesus. Not, not Savior, not Son of God, not God in a human body, none of that. Just the man they call Jesus. He made some mud. He put it on my eyes, he told them. And then he told me to go wash, told me to go to Salom, to Salom and wash. And so I went and I washed all of the mud off of my eyes. And I'm telling you, as soon as I got that washed off and it was dried, I'm telling you, I could see. And then they asked sort of a really stupid question. They go, well, where is this man? They ask him. He goes, I don't know. He said, I didn't see which way he went, Sherlock. <laughs> see, you should read my Bible. It's way more interesting than your Bible. <laughs> so, they brought the, so they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. And, and, and you have to understand, this was not an option. They had to do this. In the Old Testament, there was a rule that if there was a miracle, then you had to take the person who had experienced the miracle, you had to take them to the Pharisees, or you had to take them to the religious leaders, and they actually, this is strange, they actually had to sign off on it. They would ask a few questions, check off a few boxes, and go, oh, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a certified miracle. You get a certificate, thanks, thanks for coming. So they had to do this. Whenever there was a healing, you know, for somebody or somebody had been ostracized, maybe because of some uh, infectious disease or something like that, uh, and they wanted to come back into the community, they wanted to integrate back into the community, 
They had to go meet with the Pharisees. They had to go meet with the religious leaders who would say, okay, you know, it kind of looks like you're healed. Okay, yeah, it does look like you're healed. There's not going to be an outbreak. There's not going to be a plague. And so, you know, you can come back to society. So they actually did what the law required of them to do. So they take this guy to the Pharisees, but there's a little problem here. Verse 14. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. And this is where you sort of hear the ominous music playing and the religious leaders. Yeah, you know what I mean? The soundtrack changes. It's like, hmm. And the religious leaders, the religious people who are really religious. Check this out. Therefore, look what happens. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said, hey, he put mud on my eyes. The man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And it's like... Uh Uh-oh. And the Pharisee said, this man, talking about Jesus, is not from God. And no, we haven't talked to him. And no, we don't have a lot of information about him. But we are absolutely certain that this man who performed this miracle is not from God. And here's how we know. Because this man doesn't play by the rules. For he does not, here's what he says, he does not keep the Sabbath. See, see, we have this box. We have this box and God, you know, we've got God in our box. And we know exactly what God does. And we know, you know, exactly when God does it. And God wouldn't do this. So we know that this man is not from God. Because here's what we know about God. God always has a day off. And this is his day off. And God in our little box. And so God, who takes a day off, would not perform a miracle On the Sabbath. So whatever this guy tells you, he's not from God. Because we know, we know everything there is to know about God. Because we have a very, very sophisticated theological system. Which is why Jesus came. Which is why God, his son, in the form of a person. You know, not not just simply more information. But there were some people like you. In the crowd that day. But others said, hey, wait, wait, wait. How can a sinner, somebody who violated the Sabbath, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. So they turned, and this is where it gets just crazy. They turned again to the blind man, the the man formerly known as blind, it should say. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, and I think this is where he just sort of throws up his hands and sort of asks a question. He's like, he's a, he's a prophet? He's a prophet? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know which way he went. I didn't see. I don't even know who it is. And they're like, well, what do you have to say about this guy? I, I don't know. It was a short conversation. I mean, in fact, it wasn't even a conversation at all. He just sort of, you know, on my eyes, and I haven't seen him since. It was a short, no conversation at all. Check this out. They still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for his parents. So, so they don't believe this young man, and, and they send for his parents, and they ask him, they say, is this your son? Is this your son? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? And they're good parents. Well, we, we know it's our son. I mean, we were there when he was born. We know it's our son, they answered. We know when he was born blind, I mean, we were there and it didn't take as long to discover that he couldn't see. 
We know that he was born blind, but how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents, you ready for this? His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided. See, we know what God's like. We have a system. We have have theological parameters. We have God completely figured out. And we know, we know, we're the religious people. We know that God would never do something like this. So we got to figure out who's behind this. They had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And this this was a big deal To be put out of the synagogue in that culture, to be put out of the synagogue in that society meant probably that there were certain places that you could not work. They would be considered uh, ceremonially unclean. Uh, It would mean that you could never really ever make a proper uh, sacrifice. I mean, forget ever going to Jerusalem. Uh, Forget ever visiting the temple. You were basically excommunicated from culture, from the system, from religion. You were sort of like a sinner. You were sort of like a tax gatherer. You were just out. So they had decided anybody Anybody who brings up the name of Jesus, anybody who starts equating Jesus with Messiah or somebody divine or anything divine, you just need to know ahead of time, you're out with us. John writes, and this is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him yourself. And so a second time, they summon the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. Because you're lying, you cannot be telling the truth. They said, we know, talking about Jesus, we know this man is a sinner. So there's got to be another explanation. This does not make sense to us. We've got God figured out, and this is outside the parameters of how we view God. Which is why Jesus came. Because there are things that you will never know about God. There are things you will never ever figure out about God apart from Jesus. You could spend the rest of your life, I could spend the rest of my life living under false assumptions. And I did this for years early on in my walk as a Christian. False assumptions about God apart from Jesus. And then here's the awesome part of the story. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't know. But one thing I know, and let me just kind of hit the pause button here for just a moment. This is, this is so important. In fact, let me tell you how important this is. See, some of you think, some of you think that until you understand everything, you can't believe anything about Christianity. So, so, some of you, you know, you come and you're kind of not sure. And some of you have even told me, yeah, well, you know, you just can't believe all that stuff and got this, you know. Hey, nice, nice sermon, blah, blah, blah. But you didn't answer my question. And I can't make a step forward in my faith until you answer my question. I have to understand all of it before I can embrace any of it. And right here in this little snapshot of history, right here in this little short narrative between Jesus and this man who was formerly blind, this young man makes an extraordinary statement, and I want you to think about this. He makes an extraordinary statement that 2,000 plus years later 
It's preserved for us to help some of you decide that, you know what, I can take a step without knowing everything. I can believe in something without being able to explain all of it. And here's what he said. He said, the one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I can't tell you a lot about Jesus. I cannot answer all of your questions. I don't know if he's a rabbi. I don't know if he's a prophet. I don't know if he's a messiah or a magician. I don't know. I can't explain everything, but I can explain one thing. Once I was blind, but now I can see. And then they ask him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've already told you and you did not listen. Do you need healing? I've already told you. Are you having problems hearing? I told you, you won't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then it dawns on him, oh, I know why. This is like a favorite bedtime story. Oh, you've enjoyed my story so much, you want to hear it again. That's why. Oh, do you want to become his disciples too? Okay, Pharisees, religiously, you all just sit down there and I'll go real slow. And I'll embellish on the details and I'll build it up. And so you got, I know why you keep asking me. You just enjoy me telling the story. Check this out. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know. See, that's religious people. They know it all. We know, in other words, we got it all figured out. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know, and I think they're all, I I just think everybody in this whole story has terrible theology. He says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. That's not true. But he's young and, you know, he's not been to school and he, he doesn't know. He listens, only, he listens only to the godly person who does his will. Not true. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, don't ask me any, any details, but guys, I mean, we have to stop and, and think about this. We've all just experienced, especially me, and I'm not really getting a lot of attention for this, but we've all just experienced this amazing, amazing thing, and you're arguing about whether he's a good person or a bad person. But could a, could a bad person do this? Isn't it true that only someone good from God could perform such a miracle? I know this doesn't fit with your theological system. I know you don't have a category for this. I know you've never heard or heard a lesson on this. There's no Sunday school. But I'm telling you, this is, this is what happened. Can we not broaden our thinking just a little bit to incorporate the fact that maybe, just maybe, God is bigger than we imagine God to be? That just perhaps maybe God is even a little bit more merciful than we imagine God to be? That perhaps God would do for an unworthy person like me that perhaps we would not do for an unworthy person like me? And to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. And now they've just dissed his whole family. And you know what this means? This means, hey, somebody sinned. 
for you to be born blind. Somebody sinned for you to be born blind. And we don't know who it is, and we don't really care who it is. And then they say, how dare you? How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Inference being, they threw him out of the synagogue, and they threw his family out of the synagogue. But in doing so, we discovered an incredible lesson about our Heavenly Father. And this is huge. Here's what we learned. That God extends mercy beyond theology. God extends mercy beyond theology. So if you haven't been paying attention, would you just kind of dial in for just a second? I want, I want, I want to say this. And I know this from experience. And maybe you do too. Maybe you grew up in a system like that. Every theological system, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, you know, you just name them big three for sure, but you just list all of them. Every theological system puts caps and collars on God's mercy. Every theological system puts a lid on God's mercy, puts bookends on God's mercy. At some point in every theological system, somebody is just outside having access to God's mercy. And Jesus showed up on this planet. Jesus showed up on this earth to make it so extraordinarily clear that my heavenly Father's mercy flows over and past any theological system, that His mercy extends beyond all theology. In fact, mercy should inform our theology, which means this. When theology becomes an obstacle to mercy, when theology becomes an obstacle to mercy, change your theology. You're believing wrong. There's something wrong with your view of God when in your mind, in your thinking, you know, your interpretation of God, your view of God is such that somebody is outside of God's mercy and God's grace. You're believing wrong. And Christians can be just as guilty or more guilty of this than other faith systems. And we would never understand just how broad and just how deep God's mercy is if it weren't for Jesus showing up and correcting our thinking. In fact, I would go so far as to say this, that if your belief, and this is what Jesus leaves us with, that if your belief allows you to mistreat, you're guilty of misbelieving as well as misbehaving. If your belief system, if your theology, if your view of God allows you to leverage something that you believe about God to mistreat another human being, to mistreat another person, a person who is made in the image of God, and do you realize that every person that you are ever eyeball to eyeball with reminds God of himself? Do you realize that every person that you're ever eyeball to eyeball with is someone for whom God sent his son to die? Do you realize that every person you are ever eyeball to eyeball with, anybody you ever see, anybody you ever have a conversation with, your worst enemy was as valuable and is as valuable to God as you? It's why one of the things, yeah, absolutely. It, it's why one of the things that Jesus made so crystal clear, I mean, this is so, so clear, there's no way to misinterpret it, and yet we completely ignore it. Jesus said this. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Come on, we don't even pray for our friends. 
Half the time, we don't even pray for our spouse, our kids. <laughs> and Jesus said, okay, I just want to make sure that when you pray, that on your prayer list are your enemies. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why in the world would Jesus say, uh, you know, that I should pray for my enemies? Here's why he said that. Because it's a constant reminder that however you view your heavenly Father, don't you dare limit him to the point that someone is outside the bounds of his mercy and his grace. Isn't that powerful? Well, I'm excited. I don't know if you are or not. It doesn't really matter. What if Christians would have gotten this right for the last 100 years. Imagine, imagine, imagine a world where people didn't like us, not, you know, because of what we believed about Jesus, but they whispered behind our back, oh, but their mercy, their grace is boundless. No matter how you treat them, no matter what you say about them, no matter, you know, how you interpret their actions, their mercy is boundless. Why wouldn't that be our reputation? Maybe, maybe it's because we haven't been paying close enough attention to Jesus. If your view of God, <laughs> again, I'll tell you, I grew up with this. If your view of God allows you to withdraw mercy, your view of God is incorrect. Because as you read the life accounts of Jesus, mercy should inform and define our theology. So let me give you one more thing and then we'll quit. We could do a bunch, but let me just give you one more that we learn about God from the Father. And it's this, God takes personal interest in individual people. And this is huge for me personally. Uh, because you wonder like I do. I wonder the same things. You know, you read a verse in the scripture that says, For God so loved the world that he gave. I mean, does that mean that God loved everybody, you know, all at one time, and then God just sort of went off and did something else? Does God even know my name? I mean, when I pray, you know, this individual prayer, is it some kind of individual thing? Or is it something like, you know, just all these murmuring voices and God just sort of hears that and he's like, oh, listen to them pray. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? I mean, can God really, the God, God himself, can God really care about individuals? And you can read this for yourself. I want to make a statement. One of the most powerful things about the ministry of Jesus, one of the most powerful things about the ministry of Jesus is that he chose to heal, think about this, he chose to heal one person at a time. There's a story in the New Testament where a centurion comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my servant is sick at home. In fact, he's so sick, he can't even get up and come and, ask, come and ask you himself for healing. And Jesus says, okay, well, I'll just go to your house. And the centurion is like, no, 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 no. Uh, no, you don't have to go to my house because uh, I know how you work. I've been, I've been watching you. And you're, you're kind of like me. You have authority with something that we cannot see. And see, I'm, I'm a Roman soldier. I have authority. I have power. I have influence. I tell people to do things, and they just do it. And they don't do it because I can beat them up and, you know, all of that. They do it because of who I represent. And I think, I think 
You can do things because of who you represent. And if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus responds and he's like, I haven't seen this much faith anywhere in my whole life. And he sends the word and the servant is healed. Jesus did not need to go to person, to person, to person, to person, to person, to person, to person. But he did. You know why? Because he taught us something about the Father, that God takes personal interests in individual people. If you read the Gospel of Mark, which I really hope you've been reading the Gospel of Mark. Some of you haven't even picked it up. The only time you open your Bible is when you show up on Sunday. But I'm hoping you read the, the Gospel of Mark, which we're going to get to. We're going to jump back into it in a couple of weeks. If you read the Gospel of Mark and you take a highlighter, which I would, I would just challenge you to do this, and you highlighted the word crowd in the book of Mark, you will find that Jesus was constantly, and you allowed that picture to sink in, Jesus was constantly surrounded by people. He couldn't just jump in another vehicle and sort of drive off somewhere. It's like, you know, at best, it's get on a donkey. Okay, here we go, guys. Come on, we're going, you know. But think about this for just a moment. Think about this. Hundreds, sometimes thousands of, of the sickest people and when you're sick, you're desperate, okay? When you're sick, you're not even aware. When you're sick, you just think, you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't care what anybody thinks. If I can somehow touch him, if I can somehow get into the front of the line, I'm going to be healed. Or my son will be healed. Or my daughter will be healed. Desperate people, everywhere he went, crowded around Jesus, and he could have snapped his finger, he could have waved his hand and healed every one of them all at the same time. One at a time, because your heavenly Father cares about individual people, and you would never know that. You would never figure that out apart from Jesus. Listen to what happened. This is so awesome. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, so Jesus, somebody must have said, hey, Jesus, I just want you to know that they threw the kid out and they threw his family out. I said, really? Okay. And Jesus went looking for him, you know, like that lost sheep, like that lost coin, like that younger prodigal, because individuals matter to Jesus. Individuals matter to your heavenly father. You, you, don't, you don't, wouldn't learn that from nature. I certainly didn't learn that growing up in the religious system I grew up in, and maybe in the religious system you grew up in, you didn't learn that either. Here's what happened. When he found him, because Jesus went looking for him, which is a whole message by itself. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's a theological question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And I think, and we don't know from Scripture, but I think this, this young man's thinking, that voice sounds familiar. Are you the, that voice sounds really familiar to me. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Your, your voice sounds familiar to me. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you because I tracked you down. It wasn't enough that my mercy flowed over your need. I wanted you to meet me personally. <laughs> then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him 
three big things about God. Imagine three big things about God. And it's been sitting on your coffee table gathering dust. Or it's lost. Or it's in the back of your car somewhere. Yeah, it's somewhere back there with all this stuff. Three things that we learn about the Father from the Son. Number one, God displays His power in our pain. And if you're here this morning and you're in pain, if you're carrying around something you know you just can't get rid of, you know, God isn't saying yes to your requests. Requests about your husband, requests about your son, requests about your daughter, requests about your health. I got some good news for you. God would like you to invite him in to your pain to do something that he could not do apart from your pain. I've seen it so many times and chances are you've seen it as well. This isn't just something us pastors and preachers say to make people feel better, okay? Jesus introduced this to us in order to allow us to see him and to find him in that chapter of our lives. That we wouldn't wish on anybody. Second thing, God extends mercy beyond theology. And again, if you have a theology that shuts people out in terms of mercy, you're believing wrong. Jesus made that clear. And then number three, and I bet you'll love this one. God takes personal interest in individual people. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. If you didn't start last week, I want you to take up, pick up your Bible, begin reading the Gospel of Mark with this question in mind. Write it down. What do I learn about God from Jesus? What do I learn about God from Jesus? Because once upon a time, God was one of us. And once upon a time, God came to live among us. And one of the reasons he came to be one of us and to live as one of us was to clarify for us what our Heavenly Father was like. And the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you will get to understanding the Father. And if you stop short of Jesus... You stop short of understanding God. And if you move past Jesus, you move past understanding the Father. God sent His Son into this world that God showed up in a human body so that He could be known and that we could be known by Him. What more is there to learn about the Father from the Son? So don't miss your opportunity. Let's do that, okay? Well, I'm going to do it, so I don't know if you're going to do it or not. But you going to do it? Come on, let's stand together. I want to pray with you. Everybody's a little subdued this morning. A little subdued. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray with you, and then we'll, we'll close. I really, really want this for you, that you will learn about God as you read through the gospel. You just learn about God. Get a clear picture of what God the Father is really like. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that um, here we are in the 21st century and we have access to a portion of your text that's been preserved for 2,000 plus years. Father, we are so sorry that we've carried it around and we've ignored it. We've said we don't believe it. We've taken it for granted. And yet it's so rich and it's so powerful. 
Father, this week, as some of us begin for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, to open up the pages of your word and begin to read, would you, would you please, please open our eyes? I pray that as we read, the words would jump off the pages of Scripture. And I pray that our response to what we read and what we will discover will be exactly what this young man's response was. That we would believe and that we would worship and that our lives would be forever changed. Father, I pray for the men and women who right now, they're just, there's just so much pain. And they don't want to find a purpose. They just want the pain to go away. Father, would you give them eyes to see it the way you see it? And would you invade that part of their lives in such a way that there's almost a tangible, tangible presence of God? that your glory would be manifest through them. Father, for those who are here like me, who grew up in a religious system where mercy was just sort of an add-on, it was a second, it was so far down the list of things that were important, that we just disregarded people because of what they'd done. They didn't deserve our mercy. Father, would you change the way we see you? And then, Father, for those of us who need reassurance that you know our names, I pray that would be our takeaway today. We pray all of this in the amazing name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. Say hi to the people around you, and God bless you. We'll see you next week.